0: You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Have you ever had something happen to you that absolutely left you terrified? I remember when I was a little kid, my mom had told me that a certain toy that I wanted was in the basement. It was that time of the year where it's later in the evening, but not late, but it's dark out. So as I went down into the basement... The light was out at the bottom of the steps, and the toy that I wanted was within view, but the only light was coming from the kitchen at the top of the stairs. I remember being absolutely terrified. I didn't know what was in the darkness, but I knew it wanted to get me. As I got older in my life, my fears changed from monsters that didn't exist to people. I remember when I was a freshman in high school, the year before, uh, I was King of the hill in eighth grade, uh, one of the athletic kids and had lots of friends and had been connected to everybody. But that particular year, we moved. So I was a new kid and I was a freshman in school. I didn't know anybody. And I had just gone through my pelvic bone accident that I told you guys about before where I was dancing at a school dance and I broke my pelvic bone doing splits and showing off. So now I was a new kid in a new school. I didn't have any friends. I didn't connect to anybody. And I didn't have athletics to lean on to get to know people. And I was terrified of what people thought of me. Fast forward a couple decades, and now I have my own kids, and I watch them wrestling with their own fears that are so much the same. What's in the dark room? What's upstairs when we're not there? What are other people going to think of me? And it has me realizing that life is cyclical, and life happens, and fear is a part of it, and this is just me talking about teenagers and kids. There's this reality, if I were to share it with you right now, that I have real fear and I have real anxiety. And sometimes what's going on right now in our world scares me just a little bit, which is why I believe we need these next three weeks. We need these next three weeks to dig into God's word and discover again who he is, who he has revealed himself to be so that we can anchor our hearts, our lives, our faith in him. We're going to do that this week by taking a look at Mark chapter 4, one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. Go with me and let's unpack this together. Mark chapter 4, verse 35, it says this, <clears throat> that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Now, what's about to happen in this story, I'm just going to tell you, and then we'll look through it, is Jesus has been doing a lot of teaching. All of Mark 4 is about how when Jesus teaches us, he taught us in parables. Parables are stories that intentionally have a hidden meaning. So if you sit around and ponder the meaning of the parable, you will understand Jesus. This is what Jesus means when he says, if you search after me with all of your heart, you will find me. The whole point is he kept himself available, but veiled just enough. And the reason is God wants you to look for him. That's Mark 4. So when we get to the end of Mark 4, Jesus has concluded all of his teaching and he looks at the disciples. He's already in a boat because he's teaching everybody. The disciples are in the boat and they take him with them. And Mark makes this really important note that I want you to hang on to. He says that there are other boats there with them. The reason this is relevant is, see, in modern day times, if somebody wants to write a A fiction story, which, in case you don't know, fiction means it's not true. It's just a story. It's the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. It's the Harry Potter series. It's something that's not true. It's just made up. In modern-day writing, a lot of times, people will add details into the story to make the story seem plausible or real or like a real experience. But that's not normal in most of antiquity. When people wrote uh, legends or myths or made-up stories about things, they didn't give random details. When Mark inserts into this story the fact that there were other boats present, it is completely irrelevant to moving the story forward. It literally has no bearing whatsoever on the story. But he's sharing that detail with you. And here's the thing. He's not sharing it with you because he was there. Mark wasn't in the boat that day. Mark wasn't one of the apostles. But Peter was. And Peter was there that day. And we know from the rest of the New Testament that Peter spent time with Mark. Mark's full name is John Mark, actually. And uh, he's the guy who wrote this book, Mark. And so Mark is used to hearing Peter tell the story. And this is a random detail that Peter remembers as they got into the boat that day to go out onto the lake to go to the other side that there were other boats there that day. The reason I'm saying that is because I know last weekend we had over 1,300 people who turned into our services. Now, that represents a really high number. We don't know how high. Because we know it's somewhere between two and four people per viewing that were actually watching. So some of you gathered with your kids, you're, like you are right now, or your students, your kids, or your neighbor, or your spouse, or whatever it is, your life group, and you got together and you watched last week's service. So if there were 1,300 people watching somehow online, that means the real number is somewhere into the thousands, somewhere maybe up to even 5,000 people, which would be double to triple, possibly even quadruple our normal Sunday attendance, depending on what the actual number is. So I know some of you out there are tuning in because just like me as a child, just like my children, just like me, even sometimes today, you are anxious and afraid and you're wondering if God cares and what I am about to tell you is a crazy, unbelievable story about God. And at the end of that story, you may be tempted if you don't have faith in God to wonder if a story like this is even true or reliable. And the first thing I want to anchor your heart to is the fact that we know with certainty this happened. This is an eyewitness account being retold with detail that is beyond what we would normally expect in antiquity. So as the story would go, come back. Verse 37, while they're out on the boat, A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. These are not all, but many of expert fishermen. At least four of these guys were great fishermen, owned their own fishing business. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, we're told, were fishermen in business. It's not uncommon in this part of the world as you have a mountain right there that sits a little over 9,000 feet high and then you've got the Sea of Galilee. And so what happens is the warm air coming off the Sea of Galilee and the cold air coming up over the mountain will crash sometimes together over the waters. Expert fishermen knew this and knew this well. Not only knew it, but also were well equipped to know how to deal with it. This isn't an uncommon experience. But what's about to happen next is a little bit uncommon in that this squall, this, I don't know what to call it, hurricane of a sort, pops up over the Sea of Galilee and it starts to pour down on the boat. The waves are so big that they're crashing into the boat so that the boat is nearly swamped. This is important to know. These fishermen are bailing water. They're experienced at this and yet they're a little bit afraid. Mark chapter four, verse 38. Jesus was in the stern. Notice, again, random detail. He wasn't just in the boat. We knew exactly where he was in the boat. And he was sleeping on a cushion. Another random detail. He wasn't just sleeping. Why does it matter that he was sleeping on a cushion? Because it's a detail that somebody who was there remembers. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And here's where we get to the real heart of the story. And the real issue that we have to get to for you and for me. Does God care? Jesus is asleep on the boat. And why is Jesus asleep? He's tired. We believe that Jesus incarnated, meaning he was fully God and fully man when he was here on the earth. He was God in the flesh, but because of that, he was fully human while fully God at the same time. So he was hungry like we were hungry and he was uh, tired like we were tired and frustrated like we get frustrated and, and and all those things. And he was tempted in every way we were tempted. The difference is he never sinned. But Jesus was tired. It was a long day of ministry. He was exhausted. He just wanted a nap and the storm is swirling and everybody's freaking out. You can imagine on the boat people are barking orders, yelling over the waves, yelling over the thunder, yelling over the storm and the wind and whatever else was happening. Bailing water and finally somebody says, we need all hands on deck somebody get jesus and they go and they stir up jesus and they don't just say help they say teacher don't you care that we're gonna drown we're gonna die here and i'm gonna guess some of you if you're willing to be honest for just a moment have perhaps wondered if where everything is going in our world today doesn't god care is he just so distant? He's not paying attention? Is he tuned in? Is he, it's like he's not even engaged. Look at verse 39. He, Jesus, got up, rebuked the wind, and the, said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. If you were to read some of those ancient documents in history about uh, people who claim to have power, maybe uh, faith healers of sort or whatever it is, when they do various miracles or healings or whatever they do, they call on the name of a higher power. They'll often say something to the effect of, in the name of, and then they'll cast out whatever name I say, and then they'll tell you whatever they say, and they'll command something in this way. Jesus goes from being asleep to getting up. He's accused, you don't care, aren't you engaged, aren't you gonna do something? And he walks right over, and just like he's speaking to a little child, he says, quiet, be still, sit down. But he doesn't invoke any name. And this is crazy. Everybody invokes a name. Jesus doesn't invoke a name. There's a reason why later on, when Peter, who's in this boat, And Peter is talking in his teaching, and he says, there is no name under heaven whereby we can be saved apart from Jesus. In other words, Peter later invokes his name, Jesus' name. Because Peter knows, and this is one of the reasons, one of the moments in time where Peter learned where his real power comes from. See, here's the thing. Jesus is not just someone who has power or knows how to tap into power. Jesus actually is power. And that's powerful. But that leads us to this. The wind died down and it was completely calm. You could maybe make a storm stop, but it would take a while for the waves to find peace. But not when Jesus speaks. The winds stop, the rain stop, the thunder stops, the swirling stops, and the waves stop at the sound of his voice. And I find what's fascinating is what happens next to verse 40. Verse 40 He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? A couple things here, and and this is really important. The word afraid here, when he says, why are you so afraid, is the word delos. It literally means fearful of losses. It refers to an excessive fear or dread of losing, causing someone to be faint-hearted or cowardly, meaning to fall short in following Jesus Christ as Lord. In other words, he's looking at them and he is literally challenging them. He's challenging them. What is it that you are so afraid of losing that because you're afraid of losing it, you're gonna lose me instead? And I don't know about you, but this goes to the very heart Where we are right now as a climate, as a culture, as a community, as a country, and as a world. What is it that we're so afraid of losing? I don't know about you. This past week, in fact, for me, this is Wednesday evening when we're recording this. Yesterday was a hard day for me. I put some of this on Facebook. I've already shared it publicly, but... I allowed myself yesterday for the first time to feel my feelings, to process through all of this stuff, to really think about and allow my mind to go to places that I wouldn't allow it to go prior to yesterday. And as I did, I became anxious, afraid. For those of you who are maybe watching online, you don't know my story, you haven't been tracking with us for long. Um, we have some health challenges in our family. My mom and herself has been dealing with a lung related issue now for a couple years. Uh, We are so thankful the doctors have found medicines. And by God's mercy and answer to prayers, she's doing really, really well. But if this thing were to hit, I'm afraid what would happen to her. And that's not just my mom. There are other family members that are in the same boat. And I find myself anxious and worried and afraid about it. I find myself worried about the finances and the... What's going to happen to people who are losing their jobs? And what's going to happen to the church if people stop giving? And I find myself worried about what's going to happen to our missionaries if we don't have money to send to them. And how are they going to get any resources if the same things are happening in their communities? And the more I let the fear come in, I just started to cry. I got anxious. My kids wanted to play with me. Dad, come on, let's go outside and play. It was a beautiful day yesterday on Tuesday. Let's go outside and run and let's go outside and play. And, and I just, I don't know, kids. I just know if I'm in the mood. I don't know if I'm in the mood. And I called my mama and we got on the phone. We had one of those really awkward conversations. Like, you know, just in case anything happens, I want you to know this kind of conversations. And she's not sick right now. Oh, she doesn't have anything. But you start having that conversation and I hung out the phone and tears just kind of welled up in my eyes, just letting it all come in. And now preparing this message, I hear the Lord whispering to me and saying, what are you so afraid of losing that you might be willing to trade me for it? Now, what that means is, Jesus is challenging their faith. What are you so afraid of that you've stopped trusting me? You've stopped leaning into me. You've stopped letting me be Lord. So when this happens, this has come after Jesus has calmed the storm. What you would expect then the response to be is for the disciples to look at him and say, you're right, Jesus. I was afraid. I had nothing to be afraid of. I'm so sorry that I had any fear at all. And that's not what we see. In fact, what we see, look at verse 41, is it says, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? So they were afraid before and now they're terrified. Why? What would make them terrified after he calms? You would think that's the very moment that you would have nothing to fear. But it's the exact opposite. And the reason it's the opposite is so obvious. And yet not. If the one who commands the wind and the waves doesn't have to invoke any other name or power, Jesus didn't have to get up and say, God says, he didn't have to get up and say, Yahweh says, he simply got up and said, quiet, be still. So the one who commands the wind and the waves is stronger than the wind and the waves. Do you see it? So if they were afraid that the wind and the waves might take away their life or might make them suffer, now they're really afraid. And the reason they're afraid is what do we do with the one who's bigger than that? And the heart of it all, the root of it all, is the same problem for you, and it's the same problem for me. And don't miss this. Because what I'm not saying is, if you just trust Jesus, everything will go away. There won't be any problems. There won't be any concerns whatsoever. That's not the heart of this message. The heart of this message is, Jesus wants to know where your trust is. Jesus wants to know where your allegiance is, where your love is, where your faith is. And the reality is, the reason the disciples are afraid of the storm is because they can't control it. And if they can't control the storm, how in the world can they control the one who controls the storm? Jesus is uncontrollable. They were terrified. They asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The phrase here, they were terrified. Literally means, like if you were to literally translate it, it would mean, and they feared with a mega fear. In fact, the Greek word there is literally the word mega. It's where we get our word mega from. And they feared with a big old fear. Not of the storm, of Jesus himself. But see, here's the heart of it, the root of it. I think Timothy Keller Does a beautiful job with this. In his boat, in his book, (laughs) in his book, it's called Jesus the King. He says this, but there's a huge difference. A storm doesn't love you. See, nature is going to wear you down, destroy you. If you live a long time, eventually your body will give out and you'll die. And maybe it'll happen sooner, through an earthquake a fire, or some other disaster. Nature is violent and overwhelming. It's unmanageable power, and it's going to get you sooner or later. You may say, well, that's true, but if I go to Jesus, he's not under my control either. He lets things happen that I don't understand. He doesn't do things according to my plan or in a way that makes sense to me. But if Jesus is God, then he's got to be great enough to have some reasons to let you go through things you can't understand. His power is unbounded, but so are his wisdom and his love. See, at the end of the day, that's the real issue for us. At the end of the day, do we trust that Jesus really is bigger than anything we might face. And if we can anchor our hearts to that when we really do believe Jesus is bigger, do we also believe in his character revealed to us? Do we also believe that he's more merciful and more patient and more kind and more loving than the storm or in this case, than the virus? In fact, maybe the takeaway for you is this one. See, Jesus is filled with untamable power, but He is also filled with untamable love for you and me. It's untamable, but it's for you. I want to show you a passage. This is a passage I came across a few years ago, and it just wrecked my world. In fact, I use it so many times in messages and sermons that I teach because God has so used it to wreck me. But in 1 John chapter 4, verse 13, John, who, by the way, calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, that was his identity. My identity is Jesus loves me. And he says this, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. And if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, then God lives in them and they live in God. Now, John is laying a foundation before I get to the verses that really just got me. Here's the foundation he's trying to get to you. We know that God is for us. How do we know? Because he sent his son, his only son, to die. That's how we know. And then when Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead, which we're going to celebrate here in a few weeks on Easter, then he ascended into heaven. He sent behind him the Holy Spirit who now lives inside us. And why is that powerful? Because God is in us to mark his own, his territory, his children. And what do good fathers do for their children? They care for them. See, when you understand that God is untamable power, but also untamable love, then what you do is you draw into his presence and you hang out in daddy's lap and you say, I trust you. No matter what's going on, whatever happens next, I trust you. I put my hope in you, my faith in you. I know that you're for me and I don't know how this is going to work. But I refuse to be afraid. That's why John goes on in verse 18. He says, there is no fear in love. A perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. If you're still afraid of God, if you're staying at a distance from God, it's most likely because you've not come to a full experience of just how untamable his love is for you. Easter's coming here in a few weeks. And uh, we don't know exactly what it's gonna look like. There's so much about the future that is unknown for us as much as it is for you. What we know with absolute certainty is the next three weeks, we're going to be online. We're gonna be doing our services, not gathering in this very room, but gathering in the very room you're probably in right now. And we'll be here with you throughout the process. Easter, we're talking about, depending on what our options are, we're gonna do something special. And what we know for certainty is Jesus still rose from the dead a little over 2,000 years ago, and we're gonna celebrate that, and celebrate that, and celebrate that. And we're gonna gather together, and we're gonna tell Jesus' stories, and we're gonna watch lives be transformed. And we're going to keep calling people to respond to Jesus. We already have six people who signed up and said they want to give their lives to Christ and be united with him in baptism on Easter Sunday. And if you're watching this and you don't know what all this God church Jesus stuff is about, you might be saying why would they be baptized anyway? And here's why. That same guy, Peter, who's in the boat, who told Mark about the story about the other boats and everything else, that same guy, one time he's asked a question. He's asked, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to become a child of God? To enter into to the love of God. And his response is this in Acts chapter 2 verse 38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the reason this is such a powerful verse is because what Peter said is don't keep going the way you're going. Instead turn to God right now. If you aren't sure about God, but you know there's something about Jesus that you need and you want the untamable love and power of God in you and for you, turn to him right now, right now. You could even do this in your family room, even other people in the room. You could just raise your hand right now. Just raise it, raise it up, raise it up. And then just say, God, take me, make me your own. And then just like Peter told the people in the first church at the day of Pentecost, he said, repent and be baptized. What this means is, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. I'm turning around from a life of doubt and fear and anxiety, and I'm going to trust you with all that I have. And they went into the waters and came up out of the waters, born again, new and alive in the family of God. And if God is for us, who could be against us? There's the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. If you're watching online right now, I don't care if it's six months or six years down the road or this Sunday. You can reach out to us by texting CONNECT, CONNECT, C-O-N-N-E-C-T to 317-565-4911. And we will make sure to get you baptized and to talk to you about Jesus Christ and to resource you. We're still going to do some sort of baptism celebration on Easter. We don't know exactly what that looks like yet, but we're talking and planning now. And if you want to take part in that, just text us right now, 317-565-4911. Just text, connect, and we'll follow up with you. And here's where I want to close. John says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, and so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. And that's your confidence. We don't have confidence that the storm isn't gonna hit. We don't know what's gonna happen in our community or to our loved ones or to our jobs. But we know with absolute certainty and we rely with absolute certainty on the love God has for us. Last thing i want to encourage you believer right now that little thing that mark put in there and there were other boats here's the thing i find fascinating when jesus calmed the storm for the disciples every other boat on the sea of galilee was blessed that day may it be said of us the same thing as Jesus calms your anxious heart and your anxious life and you trust him and lean into him, may every other boat on the sea around you find the same peace. May it not be said of us that we took the love of God and the peace of God and kept it to ourselves. I'm encouraging you, believer right now, whether you go to this church, Kingsway Christian Church or not, Find somebody and encourage them. I am convinced that what God is going to do through this worldwide pandemic, he's going to take his love and let it be known through the hands and the feet and the words and the lives of believers to the ends of the earth. Don't shrink back in fear. Run to the need and meet it. Now what we want to do we want to celebrate the love that God has for us right now. I would encourage you, if you didn't prepare for this moment, I would encourage you to pause this video. You could do that this week and run to your refrigerator, run to your cabinet. I grabbed a Ritz cracker and some juice. You grab whatever you have. If I had to give a preference, I'd say a cracker of some sort and some sort of red juice, some fruit of the vine. If you've got water, if you've got juice, whatever you have, we'll make it work. We're going to take communion together. Go ahead and do that now. Now, for those of you who are newer at this and aren't 100% sure what all of this means, at what we call the last supper, Jesus gathered the disciples together and they were celebrating a Passover Seder meal. And what they would do with this meal is they would pass some cups and pass some bread and they'd break some bread and they'd drink some cups. And Jesus takes one of those cups and he takes one of those pieces of bread and he points directly that the Passover meal, the Passover Seder was actually always about him. So he takes it and he says, do this in remembrance of me. So he took the bread and he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples. And they ate it. And he said, this is my body. Broken for you. And then he took the cup. And he passed it. And he said, Drink this. This is not my blood poured out for you. And since that night, when Jesus died on the cross, after he rose from the dead, believers have gathered together regularly to take juice and to take bread and to celebrate the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That now in him, they too are alive in Christ and they can rely on his love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you for your love. God, I gotta be honest, sometimes you're so big and so terrifying and so otherly and so mysterious that I don't always know what to do with you. And I'm so glad for that, Father. I'm glad for that because I don't want you to be so small that I can comprehend everything you do. I don't want you to be so small that I can grasp and hang on to you and control you. I want you to be big and I want you to be powerful and I want you to understand things that I can't even begin to comprehend. And because you do, and I've seen that you do, I trust you. God, I thank you right now for any man or woman or child watching this video who has surrendered their life to you right now. God, lead them. Draw them close to your side. God, show off for them. Show off for them your protection and your mercy and your love. Care for them. Meet their needs, God. And blow them away with just what a good, good father you are. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name.